close second service. First service, I started off with trying to an engaging story because I know we have to wake everybody up, right? But you guys are already awake, right? It's, it's 11 o'clock. Um, I hope you are, right? I've got some chuckles in here. But we're going to get right off in talking about one of my favorite subjects in school. Can anyone guess what it is? Geography. Now, if you woke up and thinking, I didn't come to church this morning to talk about geography, well, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I think it's important, and it's because we're in the middle of a series about the book of Acts. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 1, we're going to begin there, and we're actually going to be in Acts for many months here, really diving deep into this book, but Craig launched a sermon, or a sermon series, kind of to orientate ourselves to this book of Acts. What is it all about? And highlighting some specific themes in the book of Acts. So Craig's brought us through the history of the kingdom of God that we read in Acts and why history is important, the language of the kingdom and why that's important, the math last week. If you were here last week, we talked about the math, and I'm really glad you guys came back uh, because for me it was rough talking about math. It, it always is rough. And today we're talking about the geography of the kingdom. And I really truly believe geography matters. And here's why. And it's very intertwined with history. I oftentimes just religion set aside. History matters because if you understand what happened in the past, you can better understand what's happening today. And the same thing with geography. If you understand what's happening around the world, and we're going to talk today about what's happening around the world, specifically in Christendom and Christianity, then you're better to understand what is right in front of you. So geography matters, and um, I want to start uh, by praying. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity we have to come and to learn, to engage our hearts and our minds into what you have for us this morning. Holy Spirit, please move in work and power. And as we're going through um, the book of Acts, as we're reading it at home, as we're talking about it with our family, as we're hearing about it on stage, may you change us through this book. May the inspiration of the global church beginning to spread like wildfire in the book of Acts be an inspiration to how we live today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start by reading the first chapter of Acts. I hope you're already there. Acts 1, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, meaning the Gospel of Luke was his first book. Acts is the second part to that book. It said, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, it's not surprising when Jesus is resurrected again and he's with his disciples for 40 days that he's talking about the kingdom of God. This whole concept and Jesus' teaching about the kingdom was the number one subject, the number one topic that Jesus talked about when you look through the Gospels. So it's not surprising he's teaching about that again. And why? Because I think Jesus knows that the disciples still aren't quite getting it. We see that in the next few verses. He, he, well, he spends some time talking about how he will send the Holy Spirit. And then if we pick up in verse six, it says, then they, the disciples, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, with this question, the disciples reveal that they still had a very stereotypical geography concept about the kingdom of God. You know, for years before the time of Jesus, the Jews were, were wanting and deeply yearning for the Messiah to come, to defeat back the Romans and to free them from their oppression, to reinstitute this kingdom of Israel that they saw in the past with kings like David and Solomon. And so when they see that, you have disappointed they are that Jesus died. And so he didn't conquer the Romans. He didn't reign in, in a castle and restore the kingdom. But he came back to life. And so, of course, the disciples are, is now the time? Is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, it's not to you to know all these details. But Jesus was reorienting, reorienting, reorientating them about how to view the kingdom of God saying this isn't just some kingdom that's going to be in one place. This is a kingdom that you will take to Jerusalem, your area where you are, to Judea and Samaria, the surrounding larger area, and then even to the very ends of the earth. This was a mind shift, and I think it's important for us to know, and if you grew up in Christianity, you said, yeah, of course, you know, the God is a, a God of the world. God loves all people, but this is different. This is even different from other religions here today. If you look today at all major world religions, where they are geographically, and perhaps more importantly, the epicenter of that religion has really stayed in the same place since the conception of those religions. So just for example, and I know you're far back enough, you can't really see where I'm pointing at, but if you look at Buddhism, starting in Southern Asia, spreading around kind of that area, but the epicenter still very much in Southern Asia. You think of Hinduism, born out of India, still primarily a Hin an Indian religion. And you might have speckles of Hindus around the world, but the epicenter is still very much in India. You think of Islam, Islam born out of the Middle East, still very much the epicenter in, in, in Mecca, right, in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. In fact, one of the pillars of Islam is to go, and if you are able, to go back and pilgrimage to that very specific point in the world, going back to Mecca. That is part and so deeply ingrained in the religion. And Christianity is the only modern religion that not only is reaching to the far ends of the earth, but its epicenter, where God has moved and worked in bigger ways than any other place in the world, is constantly itself changing. And we're going to talk about that, and this is where I get especially excited because we're going to look at some maps. Anyone else like maps? Okay, there's a few people. I even saw a double hand back there. Good, I'm excited. Now, as, as we show you these maps, don't try to like read every detail. I know some of you are gonna be like, oh, I, you know, I can't, what do all these colors mean? Uh, I can't read the key. What's going on here? Don't worry. And then there are others that are gonna be like, oh, cool, there's a place with some colors. That's, you know, that's great. 
no matter how you look at these maps, the point is they are just to illustrate some of the points I'm making. So don't read too far into them. Stick with me in what I'm saying, and hopefully they'll just add some uh, geography, add some depth to the points that we're going to be talking about. So looking back at 2,000 years of history from the time of Jesus, where we read in the beginning of Acts until now, there is these different eras of Christianity and how it has spread. And we'll, and we'll bring this full circle to know why it's important for us today. But stick with me here, and we're going to have to move very, very quickly. The first kind of era of how Christianity has moved in the epicenter started from where? Well, where Jesus was, from Israel, from Jerusalem. This is where we read later in the book of Acts, and we won't have time to go through it this morning, but I encourage you all, go home and, and read the book of Acts, even if you've, especially if you've never read through the whole book, read through all these different missionary journeys that Paul um, went on. Read maybe perhaps with fresh eyes how the Christian movement spread throughout that, um, uh, really the whole civilized world at that time. This first map is of Paul's missionary journeys. So you can see that in the book of Acts. And we see through the book of Acts in kind of reading in between the lines, two different ways that Christianity spread like wildfire. One was, I think, intentional and the other one unintentional. The first one is this was during a time that the world, and again, we're talking about the Western civilized world. Of course, there were people in other parts of the world at this time, of course. But the Western civilized world for the first time was extremely connected with the Roman roads. Okay, we hear the expression, all roads lead to Rome. It's because during this time, there was over 250,000 miles of Roman roads that connected the Roman Empire. It's amazing. One-fifth of those were even paved roads. I have a picture of one of the paved roads that still exists today in Italy connecting two cities. And Christians used that to take the gospel to all of these areas all across the Roman Empire. And that was even spread further or perhaps ushered along quicker because, maybe ironically, because of the persecution that Christians went under during this, this Roman era. Especially about 70 AD where the Romans really decided, okay, that's, the, Christianity's a problem. Um, there are those that don't pledge their allegiance you know, to the Roman Empire because they believe in this God, so we need to squander it out. And here, of course, we know of stories and famous paintings of uh, Christians being sacrificed in the Colosseum, being eaten by lions, or those murdered, land taken away from them uh, to try to stamp out Christianity. And what happened? It wasn't stamped out. It just further spread Christianity all over the Roman world. There's another map. Again, you're not going to be able to see all the parts, but the point is this is a map of where the 12 apostles, Judas was replaced by Matthias, the 12 apostles went just in their lifetime. That's just 12 guys just in their lifetime in the vast amounts of spreading of the gospel that those 12 I love the arrow at the bottom right, which is Thomas, uh, which I feel a personal connection to, uh, went all the way to India, spreading the gospel. Um, and again, during a time of persecution, every single apostle, except for the apostle John, was murdered, was martyred uh, for their Christian witness. Coming to the end of this bottom-up 
approach, this history where the Christians went out from the bottom up, not the ones in charge, but the ones from below that really spread the Christian, um, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until really Constantine the first the Roman emperor. He wasn't the first one to legalize Christianity. It was actually a former emperor, Galenus. I had to look at that or I'd pronounce it wrong. I probably still am. Um, but Galenus was the first one to say, no, Christianity, it's okay. It can be a legal religion. It didn't stick, but Constantine later said, no, we need to reinstate this. If you by chance remember in history, the Edict of Milan in 313 AD, that was when Constantine reinstated and said, Christians have full freedom to worship anywhere in the Roman Empire. He went further, gave Christians back their land that was, that was confiscated by the Roman Empire. He brought back refugees um, that Christians were forced to other places and brought them back, and he even became a Christian himself. And the reason why I'm talking about Constantine a lot is because he was kind of a, uh, the conduit of a big shift in how Christianity began to spread around the world. Most notably, you might know for Constantine, um, have moving the capital of the Roman Empire from Rome to, does anybody know the city where it moved to? Constantinople. It's exactly right. It moved it to Byzantium, which was renamed Constantinople, which means the city of Constantine. And that really began, that shifted the epicenter of Christianity from Jerusalem to Constantinople. And this ushered in a new era of Christianity and how the gospel message spread. And this went from a bottom-up approach to more of a top-down approach. Now, there was a, a bunch of amazing things that happened during this area. Christians had freedom. They were able to build churches. They were able to put people in forms of Christian leadership. It began to spread. And so when you think about this, and again, we're going over hundreds of years of history, um, but think about the Holy Roman Empire now. Think about the amazing basilicas and cathedrals that many of them still standing today all over Europe where thousands of Christians were ga would gather and worship God. Christian kingdoms uh, would rise up where the whole kingdoms would profess, Christian, profess that Jesus is Lord in Christianity. It's also during this time, we can't go without saying that there are some negative uh, impacts that perhaps this era had on to the global witness of Christianity. There are things like the Crusades and other things where um, people would uh, use Christianity as an excuse um, for violence or for, uh, for abuse. There were things like, uh, I mean, just naturally, we're all humans. People in Christian leadership have this power and they begin abusing the power. And then we see this leads all the way up to what was probably the end of this era where people like Martin Luther says, okay, the, the church the Catholic Church, meaning, and it's not the, how we think of Catholics today. Catholic just means universal. So like the church, the head of the church, the Catholic Church, you are getting corrupt with power. You, uh, you shouldn't have to buy, you know, your forgiveness. And he did, the, Martin Luther put the 95 Thesis on the wall and said, this is how we need to be reformed and get back to the basics, get back to the real gospel and real Christianity. And this is what ushered in a new era which, again, this is now me kind of claiming this. You guys can do all your research and look up whatever you want on, on your own, but I would say it went from a bottom-down approach more to a point-to-point -point approach. 
let me explain by what I mean by that, shifted from these major cities in Europe like Constantinople and really moved to the West. I have one picture um, on the screen. I think, so. there we go. Um, this, the blue you see, again, don't try to understand this whole map, but the blue, this is politicized Christianity. This is how we see if you go to South America, even today, or Central America, all of that blue, very predominantly Catholic. Because you see these great nations of Spain and Portugal, when they colonized these areas, they brought Christianity with them. They were taking that top-down approach to the spread of Christianity. And again, lots of stains, very, very imperfect and probably not ideal way to do it, but they brought Christianity in that way. And this shift going from that to the West, namely England and the United States, you see of this yellow. This yellow represents the active Christian witness, more revival, more for the first time, not because it was a top-down approach, but because God started to move in big ways, bringing up movements of people who came and said, no, we want to be reformed Christians. We want to get back to what it really means to spread the gospel. And they, that really began what we call the missionary movement. And this missionary movement began spreading the gospel from those areas, mainly in the yellow that you see in that map, from places in England, in America, and started sending people, as they were having their own revival, sending missionaries all over the world, and they began to spread by point, 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 all across the world. And I'll bring up just a few names, people you might recognize, and maybe if you don't, they'd be worth just um, you know reading a little bit about or learning about them. William Carey, very famous missionary. He's kind of known as the father of modern missions. He went from England and moved to India. And he's important because he was a huge inspiration that brought in a flood of missionaries, not just to India, but from many places of the world to say, we don't want to go in and just colonize and make this a Christian kingdom by force, but we want to truly show the people the love of Jesus Christ and let them take it to their own people. William Carey began this huge movement. Another man, um, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was, I think, from England or Ireland, I forget, um, but went to China. He formed China Inland Mission, and thousands of people went to China to be missionaries in his place. And he's important because he was one of the first guys that dressed like the people. Even though he's coming from the West, you know, he said, I think it would be more effective if I took off my, you know, suit and tie that we wear in England, and I put on the ch what the Chinese wear. And in fact, he would shave his head except for just the very back of his head and would wear a really long ponytail because that was the common custom in China during his time, learning the language, enculturating himself with the people so that he could more effectively bring the good news in a way they understood and could live out in real ways. And thousands of missionaries started following his example and enculturating themselves there rather than enforcing their own cultures upon these people. Final person I'll, I'll mention, Cameron Townsend. We just got done reading a book with my kids about this guy. Um, he's the first person to really institutionalize this idea of Bible translating. 
up, up to the time. This is pretty recent history. He was born in 1896. Um, the Bible was in some several major languages, right? They had the Bible in English. Of course, we had the King James Version then, right? Um, he had the Bible in Spanish and some others, but Cameron Townsend was so passionate, and he's saying to really change people's lives, we need the Bible in even the small native languages. And he had a, a vision to see that every tribe would have a Bible printed in their own language for them to read. Just in his lifetime, there were over 500 Bible translating projects going on through just his organization. And again, thousands of other missionaries followed in his footsteps and still today are working and getting closer and closer so that the Bible is translated into every language in the world. During this movement, there was a big conference in America that was started called the National Missionary Convention. Some of you might be familiar with that and have even attended because our church has sent groups before. Uh, that conference is still going on, on today. It's called ICOM, the International Conference on Missions Now. Um, it's happened November 3rd through the 5th in Columbus, Ohio. We'd love for you to be there. Um, it is a great example of how these many missionaries have ushered in this new era of how Christianity is spreading. And kind of the last thing I want to talk about is this idea that we are now moving into a new area of how Christianity is spreading. And it's moving from the West to the two-thirds of the world, or the, um, a lot of people call it the global South, to where a lot of these people are from Southern Africa, Southeast Asia, etc. But before we get there, this is a video because at ICOM this year we're celebrating 100 years of the Morris family. It started with one missionary couple that led to a huge movement. And I'll let the video explain the rest. We're here celebrating 100 years of mission work in Southeast Asia, and I just love the story of Ruth Morris, who had a prayer. And wanted a son, and wanted him to become a missionary. And Jay Russell was the answer to that prayer in every way. And in 1921, Jay Russell, along with some others who were invited by Dr. Shelton, went to Tibet to start a mission work. When I was just a child, my father and mother went out as missionary recruits under the United Christian Missionary Society. Just a few months after he arrived on the Tibetan border, Dr. Shelton was ambushed by bandits. When you look back at the beginnings of that and you see people that come and think they have a plan with an established work, an established doctor, and the doctor's killed very soon after they get there by bandits. And then you have to decide, do you come home or do you stay? They stayed. Then along the borders of Tibet, there were tribes of people where the gospel had never been preached, where they'd never been a missionary. We felt that the witness should not be confined to just where it was safe. They launched out on their own as one of the first independent missionaries. Everyone specially gifted and brought together to fit into a beautiful mission team. 
And so it was a very holistic kind of work that evolved as God taught them. They didn't have any model to emulate. They were the pioneers. They were laying down those church planting principles that we, the third generation now, are trying to emulate. Our purpose and our goal is that the gospel be preached. Secondly, when people respond, to build them up, to nurture them. It's always win them, teach them, train them, empower and equip them, and send them, and start the process all over again. And this has been the case in China, in Burma, and here in Thailand. They've reached over into India, to Laos, to Cambodia, and literally to many, many other countries around the world where their disciples that they have been successful in making have gone and started other work. There were seven countries that got missionaries as a result of that movement that took place in Batang, China. And that's why we call it from a mission to a movement. So I would definitely say what has been accomplished is not what we have done, but what the Lord has done through us. And this is the challenge I give to you, to commit your whole life to the Lord and let him work out his will, his plan through your life. Here am I, Lord, send me. Are you available? If you are, the Lord can do mighty things. God bless you. What I think is craziest about this story is that it's not super unique <laughs> that there are missionaries that God has used to go from a mission to a movement where there are thousands of people, native Christians in those nations who are reproducing themselves. And now we're seeing these movements go on an exponential increase where the epicenter or the, just the sheer numbers of, Christian, of Christians around the world is shifting in density from the United States or the West to these other parts of the world. Um, this, this next map is about five years old. I have one more map and one more graph, so, so, so hang in there with me. Um, it just shows the density of where Christians are today. The map's only about five years outdated, and you see the, the densest, think South America, think Sub-Sahara Africa, even places in Eastern Europe. Again, not Western Europe, but, but in Eastern Europe. Um, there's this one organization that really tries their best to keep track of where a lot of these movements are happening and where this exponential growth in Christianity is happening around the world. And this next graph shows that. You see some is happening in the Pacific, the Americans, and Europe, but there is just massive growth happening in several different parts of Asia and essentially all throughout Africa as well. And... <laughs> As we look about this and we think about this, I, I don't want us to get to the point where we're thinking, okay, God's leaving, you know, America. Because it's easy to get discouraged and maybe even have thoughts like that. If you spend much time on maybe a college campus and you're not super involved with how God is moving and working in that campus, it might feel like God isn't there. It might feel like God is leaving America. I have one friend that I was talking with um, around a campfire, and he was, he's, he's not very involved. Um, it's kind of, I wouldn't say falling away from Christianity, but it's falling away from going to church. And he was just talking about, you know, how Christianity seems to be going down. And he said, man, I can just imagine that, you know, Christianity gets smaller and smaller and smaller until one day there's just about one, you know, maybe there's one Christian left, you know, in the world, and, and that's when Jesus will come back. And I remember him saying that. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. That is not what is happening around the world. 
And you can go to the Bible, and it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I said what's important is that it doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against you know, your community. The gates of hell will not prevail against uh, maybe America, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we live in this world where Christianity, the epicenter, the, the, the density has continued to shift and will continue to shift probably until Jesus comes back. And I want you to think of, you know, why? Why is that? Um, lots of different reasons. And I've heard whole sermons talked about just about this. And maybe it's, you know, affluence, people becoming wealthy and comfortable and relying less on God and more, you know, on their paycheck and then slowly losing that Christian fervor. It's like the opposite of persecution where persecution comes and, being, and be, where being a Christian is hard is what has made it spread in a lot of these times in history. And, you know, especially here in the Midwest and Lebanon, Indiana, I'd say it's, it's pretty, you can be a Christian pretty comfortably. And how I want to encourage you is saying, I would want us to live like there is a spiritual war going on and live like it matters. Live like we are being persecuted, even if it's comfortable. Live in which it costs you everything. I have a, another friend who's actually very involved in um, Christianity around the world too. And he, we were talking one day over Zoom about this idea of cultural Christianity and people kind of going through the motions. And he said something that kind of bothered me, but I'm not sure if he's wrong. He said, man, I, I cannot wait for cultural Christianity to die in America. And again, that, 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 that hit me wrong, but then his point was, he said, then we're going to have to get serious about what we believe. We won't have any other choice. And I don't want that. <laughs> you know, I don't want, I, I like being able to freely worship. I like being able to go to church. I like to be, that my kids can grow up Christians and not be made fun of just because they're a Christian. I don't want cultural Christianity to die. But you see his point in saying, unless we become serious about living out our faith, and unless we live as if it costs everything, then perhaps it will be going like that. And perhaps we will continue to see Christianity thrive and, 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 and flourish in places where it does really cost them something, like in Asia right now. We serve a God who is on the move. And that's something not to be discouraged by, but to be encouraged opposite of my friend who wasn't involved, if you're feeling discouraged about that, if it feels like maybe in your workplace or in your school that, that Christianity is on the downcline, I encourage you to get involved. Start saying yes to things. Hear with, right around you and perhaps saying yes to things that even God is doing around the world. I think it's so interesting. We live in probably the only time in human history, okay, the only time in human history that you actually can be involved with what God is doing in your community and simultaneously what he's doing around the world. You don't have to pick up and go be a missionary on the other side of the world or one of these places where Christianity is flourishing to really see that. You can support a missionary. You can sponsor a kid in Colombia. You can do a, just a variety of things. You can serve on the missions team here at LCC. You can do things while still making an impact in your community. 
because I don't want this just to be a let's look outward to the rest of the world and forget what's right here in front of us. No, we're all called to make disciples, and oftentimes that is just what's right in front of us. But my point is, we live in a time, in an era in history, where the world, in a way, is right in front of us. Does that make sense? Another point I really want to just hammer home is that we serve a God of the world. And unless we extend our vision or perspective and zoom out a little bit, it's easy just to see the Christian world right in front of us. The beginning of the Bible, we see God's call to Abraham to be a light to the nations. We see Matthew 28 towards the end of Jesus's life where he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, Psalm 67 is one of my favorite Psalms because I feel like it captures the heart of God for the world. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. LCC, we often use the terms here, there, and everywhere. We encourage you to just start saying yes. Get involved here there, and everywhere. Of course, we get that from mirroring this passage we see in Acts, the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And then the last point I'll leave you with is geography matters because the fate of the world depends on it. Now, that sounds pretty dramatic, right? But the fate of the world depends on it. But I want to take you quickly to Matthew 24, 14. And it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Some people believe because of this exponential growth and how the church is being equipped and mobilized to reach every corners of the earth, a lot of people believe that maybe the end will come even within my lifetime because the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth, and we can be involved in that. So thank you for hanging on with me for this little uh, geography lesson around the world. I'd like to pray as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity we have just to engage our hearts and our minds um, and see just a glimpse of some of the amazing things that you are doing around the world. God, we confess that you are a God of all nations. God, we want to um, confess our own sins where we make our life a little bit too much about ourselves and perhaps where we've gotten just a little bit too comfortable in inheriting this era of Christianity where, 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 where it is normal to be a Christian. And even in some places around America and for some of those that are in this room that experience that kind of social persecution, um, may, they, they, may they be inspired, may they be, may they be encouraged that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and that they are, being a, they are playing a part 
in spreading the gospel to the whole world. So open our eyes on how we can be doing that here, there, and everywhere. It's in your name that we